One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. ES Audio. Hello, this is the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. I'm Nick Curtis, the Standard's Chief Theatre Critic. I'm Nick Clark, the Deputy Culture Editor. And this week we're welcoming award-winning playwright and theatre critic Farah Najib. Hello, thanks very much for having me. It's great to have you along. Coming up, we'll be joined by Nicholas Kent and Richard Norton-Taylor, who are behind Grenfell System Failure. This follows their 2021 production of Grenfell Value Engineering. Michael Gove came to see it, the first production. I hope he'll come back and see this one. And wrote me a a wonderful letter afterwards saying that he felt the play was very compelling compelling and, and he, he must act on it. Yes. It is, and I think he was actually genuinely influenced by it. Plus, we'll be reviewing Sylvia at the Old Vic, a hip-hop musical about the suffragette movement. There's no excuse for you to speak to me this way And there's nothing you can do or say to make this okay You think I've done this just for the fame Starring Beverly Knight and Sharon Rose. But kicking off the show, Farah and I review Medea, which is at the new At Soho Place Theatre. This is a revival of the Euripides tragedy, starring Sophie Okonedo as Medea, who... Are we allowed to do spoilers on this one, do you think? Um, <laughs> she, let's say she, she commits one of the sort of worst acts that can probably be conceived of, out of fury at her husband abandoning her. As I say, stars Sophie Okonedo in her first stage appearance for four to five years since uh, she did Antony and Cleopatra at the National. She's opposite her old friend Ben Daniels, who plays all the major male roles in this part, I think this is a, it's 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 an astonishing thing to find in the middle of the commercial West End. What did you think of it, Farah? Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I haven't seen Medea before, so I've got nothing to compare it to, but I found it really, really gripping from start to finish. I think it's really accessible as Greek tragedy goes. Yeah, and I haven't seen Sophie on stage before, and she was just phenomenal. She's great. I mean, it's like she's a, I think I said in my review, I think it's, it's like she needs four years to sort of gather herself for each <laughs> lacerating, harrowing performance that she gives. There isn't mm. much room for humour, certainly from her in Medea, although there is quite a lot from Ben Daniels, I think it's fair to say. It's not a wholly depressing evening, although it is quite a rigorous <laughs> harsh, bleak uh, 90 minutes of entertainment. One of the interesting things I found about this Madeira, it's interesting that you say it's accessible because in an era when most people seem to be interested in reworking classics, this is a fairly straightforward telling of it and it uses a 1946 translation by an American poet whose name I've forgotten because I don't have my programme in front Robinson of Jeffers, Thank I you, think. Robinson yeah. Jeffers, yes. <laughs> yes. I found the language pretty straightforward and pretty easy to understand. I think a lot of people think 
Greek tragedy is is tough. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, very much so. Um, it being a poet that wrote the adaption, I thought it had these really nice poetic flourishes without it being too much. What I found kind of startling was how up-to-date it felt, actually, the text, especially in terms of Medea's and Jason's relationship. Those kind of scenes where he's gaslighting her about what he's done, it really felt like it could be happening in the here and now and I kind of felt that resonating across the audience in quite an unsettling way. Absolutely yes I, I think again I, I wrote that there's not really any need to update it because the, the yep. themes and the issues are as you say they're, they're extremely contemporary he is a gaslighter and he's a mansplainer who explains that he's um, leaving her and their children for their children's own good. Yep he's, yep and doing it for the gods and all of that <laughs> which obviously feels uh Faintly ridiculous in our modern times, but still feasible as just another explanation. That yeah, you can imagine him sort of tweeting out personal news and marrying Creon's yeah. daughter, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing. What did you think of the performances of Sophie Okonedo first and then of Ben Daniels? I just found her entrance so great, the way she kind of almost staggers up the stairs with the sunglasses on and you, you can just see that she's absolutely in the trenches of the kind of emotional turmoil that she's going through. That's right. We first hear her rather than see her. The, the, yeah. For those who haven't been to At Soho Place, it's a theatre in the round, so sets have to be very minimal because this, you have to have 360-degree sight lines. So this is basically a floor with a staircase leading down from it, the set, yeah. and we hear her from below as if she's already ostracised, really. Two minutes in, she's crying, and I just thought, oh, this looks like a really heavy role to take on every night, and the kind of transformation that she undergoes. I think there's this moment, actually, that you might have mentioned in your review, where she's watching the children playing with Jason, and you literally see her almost like becoming stone in that yes. moment. It's the resolve that comes over her is just, yeah, it sends chills down my spine, actually. It's actually making my scalp prickle slightly yeah. when, you, when you're reminding me of it now. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Productions of Medea don't tend to sort of justify the action that she commits at the end of the play, but they do contextualise and explain it. I think mm. that's what keeps it sort of fresh, that it is this appalling act. As I say, if you if you, if you you want spoilers, you can look up the story <laughs> of Medea and find out pretty quickly what this act is. And I felt, you know, it was believable in this one. Ben Daniels, he yeah. plays at least four, I think maybe five characters, doesn't he, if we include servants and Medea's children's teacher. Primarily, though, he's Jason and he's Creon, the king whose daughter Jason has now married. In between his appearances, he circles the stage in, in slow motion, which could look awful, couldn't it? I mean, it could just be a dreadful device. Did yeah. you think that worked? <laughs> I thought it worked. Maybe it was a little bit peculiar, but in a way that I quite liked. Um, I found my eye being drawn back to him when that was happening yeah. because of the poise and control that he had in that slow motion walking. I've never yes. seen slow motion walking that good, first yes. of all. <laughs> and it just, yeah, the way he was kind of, you know, shrugging off one character and stepping into another. Yes. Always circling. I just thought it gave a really... Not nice, but an appropriate, threatening air. It's it's a sort of reminder that she's powerless in a patriarchal society, isn't it? As yeah, well, that, always being that he's always there, always be always watching her. And you're right. If there were a, an award for slow motion walking, undoubtedly Ben Daniels Absolutely, would win yes. it this year without <laughs> any competition. He's a very physically impressive actor, isn't he? His multi rolling was so good that there was a point where he'd kind of stepped into um, Ajaeus. And out again, where I'd actually forgotten I was watching the same person. And it was a bit like, oh, he's he's back as Jason. So, yeah. yeah. 
Yes, and, and it's quite it's, it's quite daring at times, given that um, Okonedo's performance is so intense that he allows himself a little bit of levity, particularly as a Jews, who's startlingly camp, really, this yeah. Athenian yeah. king, isn't he, who comes on stage and uh, protests about being childless. Uh, one other thing to say about this is I, that I found nice about where this production is on. That's a terrible word, nice, but uh, but it was pleasing <laughs> to me. So her place is inspired by the visit that Nika Burns, who built the theatre, paid to the great theatre of Epidaurus, which she visited when she was an actress many years ago. Mm. So it's not directly based on that, but it is inspired by it, the idea that uh, there, there are that star designs in the ceiling. It's based on that great sweep of the auditorium at Epidaurus, which isn't a 360-degree theatre, but you know it gives that sense of embrace and of bringing you in and implicating you in the action. And Epidaurus as a town is actually name-checked in Medea, which I mm-hmm. thought was quite nice. She mentions the, the town in one of her speeches. So I think at Soho Place, I have reservations about the public spaces within the theatre, but I love the auditorium. I think it's a great asset to the West End, and I think it's wonderful that it's putting a show like this on. Yep, agreed. Now, I'm sure at least some of you listening have ambitions to be writers. You may even have an unfinished manuscript stuffed in a folder on your hard drive right now. So let me tell you about the Evening Standards Stories Competition. It's open to anyone over the age of 18 in the UK. There are great prizes and judges including the creator of Derry Girls, Lisa McGee, actor Patterson Joseph, and the Evening Standard's own head of audio, David Marsland, who's got all the details right here. Small stories. Hello. Epic stories. Bit close, Mac. Sorry. Your stories. All I saw was the dandruff. Huge flakes all over his jacket. Imagined his wife brushing him down like a horse before he left for the hospital. When I was young, I prayed for the same thing, first in Punjabi, then in English, in case one language carried more weight than the other. We want them all. Enter the Evening Standard Stories Competition, part of our upcoming Stories Festival, for a chance to win prizes, including a masterclass with best-selling author and head judge of the competition, Lottie Jeffs, a year's mentoring with London and LA-based production and management company, 42, and publication on standard.co.uk. This year's theme is belonging, and you can do anything you want with it. It can be written by anyone over the age of 18 in the UK and be told any way you choose. Short stories, movies, TikTok videos, audio dramas. Tell your tale the way you think audiences will enjoy it best. Entries can be written up to 1,000 words or recorded as a video or audio up to two minutes. Pop over to stories.standard.co.uk forward slash competition to find out how to enter for free. You'll find terms and conditions there too. That's stories.standard.co.uk forward slash competition. Entries by Cannonball are not accepted. Sorry. Right, stay with us. After the break, I'll be speaking to Nicholas Kent and Richard Norton-Taylor about Grenfell system failure. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. I'm joined now by Nicholas Kent, director, and Richard Norton-Taylor, journalist and adapter of Grenfell System Failure, the second play that the two men have adapted from the material presented to the Grenfell Tower Fire Inquiry. Nick, welcome. Good to be here. Thank you. I saw the first Grenfell play that you created, uh, Value Engineering, which was about the early stages of the inquiry. Was there always an intention to have a second crack at it, as it were? No, there, there wasn't at all. What happened was that the inquiry themselves all turned up. Richard Millett, who's the chief counsel to the inquiry, and his whole team came one evening and they saw it and they felt it was useful and rather good and they felt they were all portrayed without any distress. And they afterwards in the bar had a drink with us and the cast and said, you are going to go on and do another one, aren't you? And we said, no, we had no intention of doing one. And they said, well, you've just got to do something about when the the cladding manufacturers, the insulation manufacturers and government regulation, we've heard and we've prepared a lot to question these people and the evidence is there. Right. And you should certainly do it. What was your reaction at that point, Richard? Were well, you keen I, I, to, to, I, I to revisit very, the material? I would have been frustrated if that was the end, the first play was the end, because we had to leave out some of the evidence. Of course, we'd finish the play before the evidence had finished. And we had a lot of cladding manufacturers, private companies last time. We got some of them this time around. But also the um, witnesses from local government, uh, rather not local government, expert committees, I should say, like the building research establishment, but also from Whitehall Departments, Department of Housing, Leveling Up, or whatever it's called now, and ministers. Yes. Um, so we got new people with new evidence. And I'm very happy that we could make a play out of that as well. What do you think this uh, tranche of material adds to the uh, the story, as it were? Well, it gives a voice to the community because they dealt obviously with the aftermath of the fire. The first phase one of the inquiry dealt with the fire itself and what happened during those terrible hours when the fire was raging. This deals with basically the next morning and the next few days as well with witness called Hissam Choker who gives completely compelling evidence. And also, what in the aftermath has also been found out, um, Imran Khan talks about a family and how they, an Afghan family, how a disabled mother was living on the 20th floor and she was carried down by her son. So it deals with a lot of what happened afterwards as well as the manufacturers and the government deregulation agenda. And it continues with, with what Richard Millett, the counsel of the inquiry, describes as the merry-go-round of buck-passing. And it's buck-passing not only from company to company, but from uh, local council to, uh, to now to central government and expert committees and Whitehall to ministers and ministers back to Whitehall. Everyone is passing the buck and that comes out quite clearly. Richard, I'm just curious as to what the attraction is for you in spending months of wading through well, this material. Well, one thing I... I uh, 
I left the Guardian about five years ago, but we did some tribunal plays when I was still at the Guardian. You but were I the Guardian's security correspondent. I uh, security and defence correspondent. Security and defence. And uh, Nick came up with a first idea on the tennis court actually, because we did half the pitching, which was a Scott Armstrong Iraq inquiry. Yes. And that's why I think, in a sense, verbatim theatre. Theatre is a great platform for a journal, enormous extension of journalists. For a journalist, you get frustrated, as fellow journalists will know. That you're running a running story, especially with uh, editors or news editors having well sort of butterfly minded. You've not again and not another story on the arms to Iraq or uh, Stephen Lawrence inquiry, or whatever. You know, let's have the just the beginning and the end, and that's all. But there's so much vital information that comes out. So instead of just you know 300 word story or two minutes on the radio or two seconds on the television, you get a couple of hours in the theatre with a live audience, people speaking for themselves. You know, i.e. the witnesses, yes. through actors, but no, no, not a single word is made up. And it's much more satisfying with a live audience and, say, a couple of hours rather than um, a few hundred words. What reactions did you get to the first play and what, what, what reactions are you expecting to this one? We got very strong reactions from the local community and it's the one thing that all the Grenfell support organisations have agreed upon. I mean, there are factions, obviously, in any community and people have different ideas how the aftermath should be looked at and, and what should happen with the inquiry and how you get justice. All those things are quite divisive in ways. But every, each organisation, Grenfell United, Grenfell Next of Kin, Lancaster West and Justice for Grenfell have all supported the play and vocally very much supported it and organising discussions after certain nights and doing a lot of support work. Also, Michael Gove came to see it, yeah. the first production. Oh. He's, I hope he'll come back and see this one and wrote me a, a wonderful letter afterwards saying that he felt the play was very compelling and, and he, he must act on it, on the evidence that... I think it gave him a lot of information in mm. depth that he had to think about. Although he'd been briefed by civil servants, it's quite different seeing this yeah. on stage. Yes. It is, and I think he was actually genuinely influenced by it. Um, and he effectively admitted it. And he came out quite soon after this series of speeches, putting the boot into uh, companies from evidence that he'd seen and yes. then pursued it and asked his officials to give him more evidence, I suppose. Oh, he was impressed by it, I have to say, I think genuinely as a leading mm. politician. Can we talk briefly about the look of the play? I remember the first one I saw at the Tabernacle um, and the Tabernacle is almost arranged like a courtroom, um, isn't it? It sort of feels like a place yes. where a public inquiry could take place. Was that a conscious decision? Well, we wanted to play it as near to, obviously as near to Grenfell as possible and even, even doing it at the Tabernacle and even moving to Baker Street is quite near to Grenfell, but the Tabernacle is very near. You can actually see it when coming out of the theatre. Um, you just have to walk 50 yards and you can see it mm. from there. But also we play the play in a set that mimics the inquiry room with the house lights on too, so the audience feel like they're at an inquiry. And we use microphones so that um, the actors don't have to project too much, but it feels quite cinematic. So, for instance, when we did the first inquiry on Channel 4 afterwards, um, the first play, which has gone, gone out on Channel 4 in two episodes, yes. we actually filmed it in one day, all two episodes in the theatre and we didn't have to adjust anything because it basically is fairly static and the actors didn't have to project. So, Fantastic. So it felt like the inquiry. Yes, yes indeed. 
That was Nicholas Kent and Richard Norton Taylor talking about Grenfell System Failure, which will be on at the Tabernacle Theatre for the next two weeks and then the Marylebone Theatre. After the break, Nick Clark and I review Sylvia, starring Beverly Knight at the Old Vic. If you're enjoying the show and want to hear more, hit follow and rate. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Sylvia, this is a hip-hop musical about the suffragette pioneer, with a book and lyrics by Kate Prince. It's about the family disputes between Sylvia Pankhurst, her mother Emmeline and her sister Christabel, and the foundation of modern feminism. That was Beverly Knight and Sharon Rose performing an excerpt from You've Changed. Uh, it was recorded during rehearsals from the show. And it's taken from Act 2 as the conflict between mother and daughter, each with increasingly opposing political views, comes to a head. It was composed by Josh Cohen and DJ Wald. I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce that. With lyrics, as I said before, by Kate Prince. I had very mixed feelings about this show. Nick, what did you think of it? Well, it was interesting. So I thought that it had a, a huge amount of energy. It really swept all the way from the beginning to the end. The curtain call, I mean, it's not great to start with the end, but was one of the most life-affirming, amazingly um, upbeat things that I've I've seen in the theatre for a long time. And the audience, I didn't see it on press night, and the audience lapped it up. Part of the problem for me, and I, I love musicals, but a sung-through musical for me is one that I still struggle with. Yeah. And what it really shows is when there's issues with the writing, if you have to make sort of quite clunky rhymes quite a lot, and that kept pulling me back out of it a little bit. I thought the singers were utterly superb. I thought yeah. the choreography was was very good. Yeah, the dance is, is very sort of high energy, very um, reminded me of sort of Madonna or Janet Jackson routines, lots of sort of shoulder pumping mm-hmm. and, uh, and and sort of power squats. <laughs> <laughs> it's that sort of confrontational sort of step-up style with da- like dance-offs. Yes. People, you yes. know, it's aggressive. 
you know, these these um, uh, suffragettes are challenging the order. Yeah. And that's how Kate Prince tells that story through the dance choreography. She does. And it, she, we, we should say she, I think, started out as a choreographer and director. Mm. And this has been a sort of project, a, a special project for her, obviously mm. very close to her heart, mm. uh, which is why she's taking the bigger role as a sort of writer and lyricist mm. for it. Yeah, it started in 2018, I think. It was put on at the Old Vic, and it was a, a work in progress then, and it's basically been taken and developed from there yeah. and has made it sort of Old Vic ready. Well, they, they initially announced it as a full production, didn't they? Yeah, and they did. revised it and said, actually, yeah. it's a work in progress, yeah. and it's now, yes, five years down the line. It's... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say it maybe still needs a little bit more work on it, but... A uh, bit more shaping. A bit, bit more shaping. Yeah. And again, on the plus side, the choreography is so extraordinarily energetic that mm. when the fact that they can then, the cast, but particularly the two leads, can then come out and sing these extraordinary numbers, yeah. you, you sort of have to take your hat off to them, yeah. even if you're not being completely sold on the lyrics of yeah. the story. The story... I mean, it, it was a very linear story of um, how the suffragettes won the vote, but it... it it, it, it didn't always engage me, I have to say. Yeah. It's kind of, there's the, the elephant in the room about this show is Hamilton, isn't it? Mm. That other hip-hop musical about democratic processes mm. and uh, possibly bits of history which we're not so in touch with and need mm. to be reintroduced to now. Mm. Um, I can see an argument for doing a hip-hop musical about the Pankhursts. They were people who I learned about at school many decades ago, but maybe now we do need a bit of reiteration about yeah. that early history of feminism. But as you said, um, it's the fact that it's that it's through sung that there's no space for dialogue or modulation. Mm. It's all either ballads or these full-on sort of blasted-out dance mm. numbers. And it's the history is sort of by the numbers. I agree with you about the energy. The energy is extraordinary. Uh, the singing is wonderful. I wish somebody would put Beverly Knight in a show that is worthy of her talents. This is the third in a row where I think I've seen her carry something that's really not good enough for her. She's absolutely matched by Sharon Rose, who mm. I was less familiar with, uh, yeah. although she's quite a seasoned musicals performer and has indeed been in Hamilton, I believe. Mm. They've got two barnstorming, knock-down-the-walls voices, Absolutely. It's hardly worth saying, but Beverly Knight just brings so much to that part. It, you know, she just brings gravitas with the songs that, you know, sometimes the writing isn't the very, the very best, but she just adds that la- layer of nuance, that layer of... It was a real delight to watch her. And uh, Sharon Rose, I actually thought, was was brilliant in, in her sort of character, character trajectory, really, from, you know, naive young person, not sure of where her place in the world, to sort of le- leading the revolt at the, at the <laughs> end. And I think we should also give a shout out, actually, to uh, the designer and the video design. I mean, Ben Stones, we've talked about before because mm. he was standing at the sky's edge, I think, at the yes, National. that's right. And this is completely different set. And I think the set was was superb. And the, the video work by Andre Goulding, who I think did Life of Pi. Oh. So a real seasoned expert at this stuff, really used to bringing it when it comes to the, the video design. I thought it really worked, actually. I love the sort of monochrome nature of it. Mm. It's all uh, black and white with occasional sort of flashes of uh, socialist scarlet so um, well, it is black and white and red all over it yeah. is and <laughs> as Sharon Rose's character Sylvia becomes more prominent in the movement it becomes more red or certainly the scenes that she's in the monochrome yes. fades away and it, the red sort of takes over the entire scenery and yeah and there's something in that about the sort of primary coloured nature of the whole thing isn't mm. it it's a very sort of straightforward telling really of of the history slightly coarse at times you know I, I'm 
not really sure that the Pankhurst would have had those discussions as, as bluntly sure. as they seem sure. to have on stage. Yeah, sure, but, you know, it's theatre, isn't it? It's Indeed. not real life. Well, and certainly Winston Churchill probably was not quite as portrayed in this. Possibly either. not. He's, uh, yes, we do have uh, we have Winston Churchill in this and we have Lloyd George. Um, Winston Churchill is a sort of... He's the hen- pantomime villain, really. Pantomime villain and a henpecked one at mm. that, you know, sort of put upon both by his mother... Um, who is an, another sort of tour de force performance in yeah, here. Yeah, can we give a shout out to Jade Hackett? Because when every time she came on, play, she plays multiple roles, but when she was um, uh, Jenny Churchill, she yeah. really just, I mean, everyone in the auditorium went crazy. Yeah, plays Jenny Churchill as a sort of Caribbean matriarch. Yeah. Which, oh, which I think actually works, it works really, really yeah. well. Mm. There's a, a song here between Sylvia and her future partner, Sylvia, an Italian um, fellow traveller in her political cause who's, name she gets wrong repeatedly mm. until she finally yeah. remembers what he's called and then they have this song where they sing Sylvia, Silvio whoa, 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 this sort of <laughs> doo-wop number at the end which is quite funny and quite clever but you just sort of think I'm sorry, where's this taking us narratively? It doesn't really, it, it well, takes you down a sort of Let me tell you, last night that went down a storm. The romance I couldn't believe it. There were whoops, there were catcalls, <laughs> there were people, when they came out, when they kissed, it brought the house down. It was brilliant. I mean, I wasn't expecting it, but boy, did the audience love that romance. Go for the feminism, <laughs> stay for the romance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Yeah. Terrific. Well, that was Sylvia at the Old Vic. Um, I think we're probably both sort of slightly uncertain about it, but undoubtedly there's people out there who will and have enjoyed it. I think, you know, you will leave the theatre with a song in your heart and a bounce in your step. And a vote. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for this week's episode of the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. I'm Nick Curtis. I'm Farah Najib. And I'm Nick Clark. We'll be back next Sunday. Make sure you hit rate, follow and leave us a review. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.